Welcome to the 10 Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. This podcast takes one medical subject and explores it for a maximum of 10 minutes. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Young. You're listening to the 10 Minute Medic, podcast for busy paramedic students. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. The topic of shock can be very complex, and there's no way that we can adequately cover all the aspects of this syndrome in a 10-minute time slot. Because of this, we'll be delivering several podcasts that barely touch the surface of this important topic. I'd strongly encourage you to do additional research on this condition so that you can become more proficient when faced with it in a pediatric patient. Shock that's present in the pediatric patient can often present entirely different than when the same condition presents in an adult. It's essential that you are able to rapidly identify and begin definitive treatment to stop its progression. The earlier that you do so, the better the prognosis of the patient. Failure to do this may lead to cardiac arrest for your young patient. The research shows that once a pediatric patient reaches the stage of cardiac arrest as a result of poor treatment of shock, the outcome for ROSC is almost non-existent. In order for the body to survive, three factors must be intact and function correctly. These are the pump, the vasculature, and the blood. If any of these malfunction or fail to work correctly, bodily perfusion is adversely affected. In a bit, we'll talk about the different types of shock and how they present differently depending upon which of these three factors are affected. Keep in mind that various types of shocks can occur concurrently. The loss of bodily fluid because of vomiting and diarrhea can compound the shock that occurs in a child that may be septic. Make sure that you're doing a really good job of assessing your pediatric patient to identify and treat, when possible, all etiologies of shock. There are three phases of shock, compensated, decompensated, and irreversible. Let's take a look at each of these in a little more depth. One of the most important concepts that you must grasp is that shock does not require a lowered blood pressure in order for it to exist. That is what makes it so deadly, especially in the pediatric patient. It can hide in plain sight with the existence of compensated shock. Compensated shock is defined as shock with a normal blood pressure. This occurs because it's early in the shock process and the body is able to compensate hence the name compensated shock, to preserve perfusion to the big three organs, the heart, the brain, and the kidneys. This comes about because of the three biochemical responses. First, located within the carotid arteries are barrel receptors that monitor arterial pressure. When this pressure drops, regardless of the cause, these receptors send a message to the brain to increase the heart rate, to increase the force of stroke volume, and to cause massive vasoconstriction. The second action that occurs in compensated shock is the response of chemoreceptors. These are located in the carotid arteries, the aortic arch, and the medulla. They exist to monitor changes in the pH, carbon dioxide, and oxygen levels within the arterial system. As shock begins to ensue, carbon dioxide is retained, leading to an increase in CO2 levels and a change in the pH. These chemoreceptors send messages to the brain to increase the respiratory rate and tidal volume in an attempt to blow off carbon dioxide and bring the pH down to a level that is closer to normal. In an earlier podcast, we talked briefly about the differences between hypoxemia and tissue hypoxia. Let's take a moment to review those again. Tissue hypoxia exists when there's not enough oxygen delivered to an organ or an organ system. Hypoxemia does not always lead to tissue hypoxia because of an increase in cardiac output. will compensate for a decrease in the amount of oxygen that's attached to the hemoglobin. This hemoglobin is found in the red blood cells or dissolved within the blood. If cardiac output begins to fail, 
These compensatory mechanisms will begin to fail and be unable for the supply of oxygen to keep up with the demand, thus resulting in tissue hypoxia. The third and final response is the release of the hormone cortisol and the activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, as well as the activation of vasopressin from the pituitary gland. This reduces the amount of fluid that is removed from the body system by the kidneys, in effect keeping the volume up to a level that will help to maintain a perfusing blood pressure. Be aware that signs and symptoms of compensated shock may be subtle and only barely noticeable in the pediatric patient. Aggressively looking for these may be life-saving to your patient. Some of the signs and symptoms that you may see in your patient within the compensated shock phase include a change in mental status to that of being confused or restless. Although perfusion is being maintained to the brain, this may be as a result of an increase in the amount of carbon dioxide found within the brain. Just by way of review, remember that blood pressure is made up of the cardiac output multiplied by the peripheral or systemic vascular resistance. Vascular resistance is determined, among other factors, by the dilation and constriction of the blood vessels in the body. Keep in mind that the blood pressure can either be raised or lowered by changes in the cardiac output and or changes in the peripheral vascular resistance. Next, most of these patients have a normal blood pressure, but after taking serial measurements, you may begin to notice a narrowing pulse pressure. The pulse pressure represents the amount of force that the cardiac muscle produces with each contraction. For example, the normal blood pressure in an adult is usually around 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury, which generates a pulse pressure of about 40 millimeters of mercury. The pulse pressure is a good generalized indicator of stroke volume or the amount of blood that is ejected from the left ventricle. One reason why the stroke volume may be narrowed is a result of the increase of the vascular resistance can be so very effective in raising the diastolic blood pressure. On the other hand, sepsis can cause massive vasodilation resulting in a decrease in the diastolic blood pressure and a widened pulse pressure. This can only be determined by serial vital signs. With patients such as these, vital signs should be repeated every five minutes. Your patient may also have an increased heart rate and respiratory rate. This is the foundation of why they're in compensated state. However, if the cause of the shock is not identified and corrected, this is only a stopgap measure and will eventually begin to fail. While the stroke volume of older children will improve with an increase in the heart rate, this mechanism is severely limited in infants. This age group is very dependent upon heart rate to increase cardiac output when shock is present. When the delivery of oxygen to the tissues of the body becomes compromised, circulation begins to shun away from non-vital organs to perfuse the heart, the brain, and the kidneys. As a result of vasoconstriction of the peripheral vasculature, the extremities may take on a cool and pale appearance with a weak radial pulse. This is most commonly seen in patients with hypovolemic shock, while those with distributive shock may present just the opposite with warm pink skin or even a bounding radial pulse. If compensated shock is not corrected, the patient may progress to hypotensive shock, which is also known as decompensated shock. Hypotensive shock is fairly easy to identify because of a fall in blood pressure, while compensated shock does a much better job of concealing itself. Children do not progress from compensated to hypotensive shock at the same pace as adults. Adults have a much better developed monitoring and reactionary system to the insult of shock and will thus exhibit a progressive decline between the two phases. Children, on the other hand, will enter compensated shock and do just that. Compensate, 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 and suddenly move into the second phase of shock, that is, hypotensive shock or decompensated shock with little to no warning. Hypotensive is a great descriptor of this type of shock as the compensatory mechanisms are beginning to fail and hypotension begins to make itself known. 
Signs and symptoms of this stage include a worsening of the patient's mental status to include either agitation or increased lethargy, as well as a drop in the patient's blood pressure. The capillary refill test begins to lengthen to greater than three to four seconds, as well as your patient beginning to exhibit cyanosis or becoming pale. Keep in mind that the presence of cyanosis is a late and fairly ominous sign for your patient. It is possible to reverse this stage of shock, but it is increasingly difficult. Cellular membranes begin to fail, releasing toxins into the blood, causing damage to entire body systems. Failure to arrest this phase of shock will often result in the breakdown of all compensatory mechanisms with a decrease in the blood pressure, pulse, and respiratory rate, concluding with your patient going into cardiac arrest. This is the third and final stage of shock, also known as irreversible shock. Resuscitation at this point is not frequent. Again, it would be appropriate to stress that early recognition and aggressive treatment are vital to stopping the patient from progressing from compensated to hypotensive or decompensated shock and ultimately to irreversible shock or cardiac arrest. Thanks again for listening to the 10-Minute Medic. In our next podcast, we'll take a look at some of the specific causes of shock in the pediatric patient and some strategies that you can use to successfully deal with them.